Welcome to the Business Vitality Podcast. I am your host, Katherine Canty. You can learn more about me and my team at katherinecanty.com. For more than two decades, I have been able to travel the country and help other people grow their business. From those experiences, I was able to work with a proposal team that generated success 90% of the time for over a decade. We have created a leadership coaching program that is creating 100% measured results as seen by the leaders, peers, and stakeholders. And finally, I've spent nearly a decade in boardrooms, corporate boardrooms, where we are learning what's working and what's not. And more importantly, we're able to take the communication from the boardroom and get it down to the front line so execution is easier to implement. You know, from all these experiences, we created a framework called Business Vitality. These are all of the best practices of leaders and and opportunities that have been coming up decade after decade. And a lot of this stuff has been in practice for more than 20 years, 30 years and beyond. And what we're learning is a lot of these folks that are remaining vital in business today are having to think differently. And to share a quote from one of my CEOs that I've worked with in the past, He told me all day long he can hire folks, but what he needs more of are people who think outside the box. So in an effort to pay it forward and celebrate successes, we are going to be sharing stories of leaders who are thinking differently and remaining vital in business today. Please stick to the end and we will share how you can be a guest on the show. And thanks so much for being here. Adam Lawrence, you are the co-founder and CEO of Boom and Bucket, found on the web at boomandbucket.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Thank you. So can you tell us at a very high level, what is Boom and Bucket and what, what problems are you solving for people today? Yeah, we're, we're building a, a, a trusted marketplace for used heavy equipment and trust being the most important part of that. Whereas today, if you were to buy a used piece of heavy equipment, it looks like the internet 20 years ago. Uh, It's full of scams. It's full of uh, machines that don't run when they get delivered to you. And so the status quo is that uh, if you find a posting that you like, you hop on a planner, you hop in your truck, and you go and inspect it yourself. Um, I can't tell you how many stories we've heard of people uh, buying things that are uh, described as quote unquote ready to work, and they show up and they are definitely not ready to work. And so for these small businesses and medium-sized businesses to buy these machines, they're absolutely vital for doing their business. You know, you can't excavate without an excavator. Uh, you can't haul things without a truck. And if you buy one of those and you get scammed, it's a big deal. And so we're building a trusted marketplace. And what that means for us is that you buy from Boom and Bucket. We guarantee uh, and certify the quality of these machines and we stand behind it. Um, and so you can be thousands of miles away, find a backhoe or bulldozer that you like. We'll ship it to your door in a few days. Um, and it's as uh, described online. That doesn't mean that it's perfect or flawless. These are used machines, but it's as described, so you know exactly what you're getting. Sounds like it solves a lot of uh, a lot of problems um, because these are huge expenses that business owners are making. Lots of times, there's financing. I mean, you just don't roll in with you know cash for you know hundred thousand dollars because these these things are very expensive. So to have somebody that's trusted who's vetting this stuff out. Um, talk about, I guess, just that that security that you build between the seller and the buyer. Yeah. Um, so the seller and buyer don't meet. You buy from Boom and Bucket, which is important because we are kind of think of it as like the insurance agency guaranteeing that, right? We are the, the intermediary that is doing the hard work on both sides. 
Um, from the seller perspective, uh, most of the folks that we work with are large fleets whose job is to build America. You know, they're building the bridges, the roads, uh, the large skyscrapers. And when they're done with a the job, they're ready to get rid of that equipment and move on to the next one. Um, they are not in the used machine business. They're in the building stuff business. And so their typical status quo is sending stuff at an auction. An auction uh, happens in a big dirt field outside of a big city, happens twice a year in most major metros. And their machine will sell in 15 minutes. And the highest bidder will often be the one that has the most information. And that means that they flew out the week beforehand, maybe they did inspection, but the rest of the bidders maybe have never looked at the machine. And so the price realization is that they never get a fair price for the machine. They always get what's called liquidation price. Um, these folks know that, but there's no scale player that can take 20, 30, 40 machines and sell them for them. And so that's where we come in, that we offer a retail-like experience and retail, uh, meaning that you can inspect it, you get the information that you need, it's data rich um, for the sellers and the buyers. Uh, for the sellers, they like it because they get better price realization. The buyers, they know exactly what they're getting in terms of the machine. How do we do that? We do uh, in the field inspections with equipment experts where we look over the critical wear and tear components of the machine. So everything from the track and the wheels to the hydraulics. Um, then we use data and data being, you know, the really interesting thing in this space that construction, much like m many other businesses, we've gone through this whole IT revolution over the past 15 years where these machines and the fleet managers behind these machines produce a ton of data now. So that's everything from idle hours versus uh, usage hours to maintenance schedules, to preventative maintenance, to um, oil analysis over time. And we can digest and consume that data to help people understand whether the machine is good quality or not. Um, and so if you're at your computer looking at one of these things or if you're on your phone, we can make you an assessment, but you can click in, you can get an inspection report, you can dive in and see exactly what the inspector saw when they were grading the machine out. And so, you know, I think of like Carvana or Shift or Vroom or one of those companies that uh, millions of people bought cars from, and I just see this happening in the B2B space. And so um, that's where we're going. That's what we're trying to do. And that's how we build the trust. Thank you. That is excellent and very intriguing. So, and I love the fact you are building America and you do have to bring in a lot of heavy equipment. And when you're done with the job, you know, you're done with the job and and to know that you're there to help that. Um, I love it. So thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of one thing I would just say about that is that the like, United States just passed $600 billion in infrastructure spending. You know, we're, we're going to go through this incredible uh, renaissance in terms of actually building major things again. And these machines are actually vital over that. You know, it's not picks and shovels, it's bulldozers and backhoes. And, you know, where you think we're incredibly well positioned for that. That is awesome. So prior to Boom and Bucket, you were COO at Bolt. Um, yeah. You've shared that you've had like amazing year over year accomplishments. Some of those um, were shared online and I just saw those. Year one, you took a team from 15 to 75. Year two, you grew that team to 150 people. Year three, you continued to triple, triple, double, double pattern of growth while building out the team and positioning the continue for continued growth. And But what you also did, not only with the growth, is you were able to win um, awards such as Fortune's 50 Best Small Workplaces. And so I'm wondering, as you kind of reflect back on that, how do you how do you continue to grow and then also keep that culture going? And I'm just kind of curious if there were some lessons learned or, or things you could talk about around that. Yeah, you know, th that company is now seven years old. Um just had an article published that they're raising an $11 billion valuation. They've raised $400 million in capital this year and $200 million in the years before that. 
um, it's likely going to be either the breakout or, or the best company from that kind of uh, generation, one of the fastest growing payment companies ever. Um, I'd say, and this, you know, all the kind of credit goes to the founders and the team that we built there is that that growth is not by accident. It was incredibly intentional. And so, you know, we had uh, early on uh, playbooks and kind of methods uh, that we thought about in terms of recruiting, running the business, building the culture, getting results from the team uh, that we codify. And so, you know, it starts the core values. And I think every company has values or, you know, 99% of companies have values, but you know, most of the values are innovate, try hard, do what's right. And, you know, for lack of a better word, and, you know, sorry, those, those are kind of BS type things. What really matters is that you got to do things that are unique to your culture and that you live and breathe every single day. And so the companies that sustain take those and they turn them part of their DNA. And for a high growth technology company, that DNA is really people, right? It's the people doing the things every single day. And so in the recruiting process, we were rigorous about evaluating and looking for people that could scale on those values uh, and push the business forward in terms of growth. Um, what that's manifested into today is the, the kind of those results that you've seen. Um, Ryan Breslow, the CEO, you know, the company said the company's going to be a thousand people next year, um, eight years in, um, which is just you know mind-boggling. When I left, we were about 220, and so um, I left a year ago, and so two years past, they're going to grow five uh, x, which is insane. Um, and then you've taken a lot of these playbooks, and so you can look at like uh, ConsciousCulture.org, for example, like that's literally the open source playbooks for the company. Like that is how we thought about building the business. And that's a accumulation of, you know, amazing advisors, amazing coaches to help us get there. Um, Ryan's insights and, you know, the executive team and leadership insights in terms of what's right for the business. And so kind of summarize the, like, you know, it wasn't a mistake that we did that. Like we focused in like very, very carefully on terms of what do we want from the culture and how do we evaluate it? And, you know, happy to go into playbooks for recruiting and things like that. But um, you know, it's a pillar to stand on. We built a strong foundation. And you mentioned that site, it was consciousculture.org. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll double right. check. I should know this one off the top of my head. But I think culture is, um, it's, it's a growing focus on a lot of these businesses because you can attract them and, and bring them in, but you got to be able to retain them and keep them motivated and empowered. So, um, we'll have to be sure to check it out conscious.org sorry an even better url than i thought what is it conscious.org conscious.org all right perfect thank you um so establishing priorities is definitely vital for business growth and as a leader in these high growth environments with what you shared significant ambiguity shifting roles and changing priorities how do you manage and respond to this evolution of priorities as you continue to grow the business? Yeah, you know, on any, this doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're an entrepreneur, you know, building something new inside of a big company, odds are that your to-do list is longer than the hours in the day. Yes. Right. And so my question for my team, every Monday morning when we meet as a leadership team is what is the singular most important thing for you to do this week? And if you get that thing done, that's the only thing that really matters to me. And, you know, it's not get to inbox zero. It's not to, you know, check off my little dainty to-dos. It's to move a big rock forward. And those big rocks, uh, in terms of prioritization, they hang on our annual and our quarterly goals. And if you're not doing something this week that doesn't align to one of those, my question is, what are you doing? Right? 
And I think it's really easy to get in the kind of the weeds of building a business where you're got, Hey, customer inquiry, like, Hey, I've got interviews. Hey, I've got recruiting. Hey, I've got all these things. Don't get me wrong. You got to do those things too. But if you're not carving out time for your single most important thing, you're not prioritizing well. And so um, we try to have like a pretty extreme clarity around those goals um, and to, you know, I don't want to say hang people or like a whole, you got to be accountable for those things. You want to hold people to account for them. Right. And then the second part of those goals is that they've got to kind of follow the, the smart goal uh, theory, right? Specific, measurable, actionable, um, time bound. Uh, and if it's not measurable, you know, it's unclear to me whether you were successful that week. And so if your goal is to sell something this week, what's your commit on the ARR side or your contract side, right? How many proposals are you getting signed this week? It's not to sell something, it's to sell a specific number. If you want to get people like, if you're recruiting and you're trying to get candidates in the funnel, you know, commit to 10, maybe commit to 12 if you want to push it a little bit harder. Like, so we look for those type of things where like, I think that's how you add template of the business, but you get like specific and actionable results uh, that align towards priorities. Very helpful. Thank you. And it truly is. I think a lot of people can just relate to that squeaky wheel and that list that's just way too long. And really, when you take a step back and, and figure out what that one thing is that you need to drive forward and move that rock, um, that's where the change happens. So thank you for sharing that and just being consistent with, you know, this is what successful people do. Go ahead. No, I agree. I mean, if you look at any innovator, it's not that they had a, you know, a inbox that was zero emails. It's that they made progress on a big innovation. Yeah. And that's the secret of the world is that, you know, it's, it's big steps forward. It's not, you know, little tiny incremental things that when you zoom out and you're, you know, retired and you're talking about the things that you did and legacy that you created, it's not that you returned every phone call promptly. It's that you made forward progress and big goals. Yeah. I love it. So this kind of, kind of segues into this question. I, I saw another quote that, that you shared yeah. that was about more startups die of indigestion than starvation. And that they tried to do too many things with too little focus. And I'd love for you just to kind of talk on that, if you don't mind. I don't know if you've got like a case study or something that kind of pops in your brain. Um, I would love for you to hear that because I think that just hits home on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been lucky to work with a handful of companies outside of my own in an advisory and investor capacity. And nine times out of 10, they get a product that's working, but there's indigestion that flows from that. And what I mean is that they're not sure who their specific customer type is. And if they're not sure who their specific customer type, for example, is that they don't know how to sell. Is it an enterprise motion, an SMB motion? Is it marketing led? And if you try to do all three of those things, you're not going to do any of them well, because it's like smearing a little bit of peanut butter over a piece of toast. Like, you know, it's just going to lump up. Like you've got to commit to something. You've got to like, really focus on something. And I think too many people try to do too many things as opposed to like doing force multiplication on a problem and saying, great, we are going to attack this thing. We're going to learn how to do enterprise sales. And then a year from now, we might not be doing enterprise sales. So we might have proven that it was a bad decision, but we're at least going to give it a full uh, cycle to try it, right? A full at bat. Um, you're really going to put the work in to figure out whether it was good or bad. And so see a lot of companies that are, are years into their development cycle and don't have those answers yet. And because they haven't really like gone through the process and the iteration of learning. So when I talk about indigestion, I talk about, Hey, we're a 50 percent company. The product's resonating, but you know, I don't know what segment is actually profitable for us. 
I don't know where we're doubling down. I don't know, you know, who our champion is inside these big companies because they've gotten lucky to some extent. And really smart innovations in terms of the product will help you get lucky, but the indigestion will eventually kill you. And that's what kind of the gap between getting to a few million in uh, revenue and getting to tens of millions in revenue and then getting into hundreds. Each one of those things is oftentimes doing less. And what I mean by that is that you get to 6 million just by, uh, you know, kind of getting lucky, putting it out there. Uh, maybe you get to 10 or 15 by narrowing the scope a little bit, but you get to 100 by just false, false multiplication. You say, hey, we are an enterprise company with enterprise salespeople, enterprise customer success managers, enterprise sales contracts. And like, that's how you get to like big numbers. It doesn't have to be enterprise, but like, you know, you align the company towards your goals. Okay. You just said something that, that resonates with me and it's okay. all about doing less because I feel like when we are willing to do less, things open up and opportunities begin to appear and processes can get into place. Do you have an example or do you have anything that you can kind of share and talk about um, of when you were able to do less? And and you're right. When you want to grow that company, sometimes you do have to take that step back and do a little less than what you were before. Yeah, I, I think Bolt's a great example of this. And so Bolt um, is a checkout button. It's checkout as a service, as a platform. And what does checkout mean? It means that when you're shopping in an e-commerce store, so you're buying something online, you put it in your shopping cart and you press checkout, it's everything that comes after that. It's the risk and fraud, uh, it's user accounts, it's the payment stuff, it's the post-sale support. And the reason why e-commerce is so dominated by Amazon is Amazon's amazing at that. You actually don't even need to check out oftentimes. You just say one click buy. Bolt's building that for everybody. And if you think about e-commerce, there's stores that uh, you know are Etsy that I can run out of my attic. There's stores that do hundreds of millions and billions of dollars a year. Um, and you can boil the ocean there. You could try to support all of them. Um, or you could figure out who your ideal customer profile is and who can we support today and who can we likely support tomorrow. And so um, Bolt was really good about saying, hey, what's working? What customers are happy? What customers are signing up? Which ones go through the sales process pretty quickly? And how can we get additional leverage on that? When I talk about leverage, I'm talking about ways to make that faster that are you know, outside of just like sales training enablement. And so the big point of focus and emphasis for that business was building partnerships with e-commerce platforms that could then distribute to customers of all sizes. And when they started putting effort behind that one, it unlocked the business from something that was selling to individual merchants, to something that could sell to one business that supported thousands and millions of merchants that could all then deploy bull. And so, you know, you couldn't do that strategy from day one, but when that strategy started to work, you put the entire company behind that because that unlocked the entire world for you. And, you know, that's a make or break type thing. And that's a trajectory changing thing that goes from this to like that. And that's what you've seen in that company is that, um, they were able to focus on those uh, aggregation points for distribution in a way that just totally unlocked that business. That's phenomenal. Do you mind? So you were COO at Bolts, and I should have asked for you to kind of give a little bit more of where would we see Bolts today um, if if somebody's never heard of Bolts, and you know, are they behind certain platforms you referenced Amazon? Do you mind just kind of talking about that? Yeah. So you know, like. Um, Brands that you might see are like Forever 21, Lucky Brand, Juicy, like a bunch of big e-commerce brands, brands that you see in the mall, generally speaking, independent uh, e-commerce. I'm talking about independent e-commerce because it's different than Amazon. You're not selling through Amazon's marketplace there. 
Um, and those customers range from everything large and small, you know, there's barbecue stores and, uh, furniture stores and jewelry stores and, um, a bunch of great stuff there. But, um, you go to any of these websites and you check out. And when you put stuff in the cart, you see a bolt button and oftentimes on the product pages, and that's a product page is the page that you're looking at to see an individual product. So, you know, a black t-shirt size large, and you can put it in your cart or bolt offers a service that says buy now there and so you don't even have to put it in the cart you can skip it um in terms of platforms it's everybody about shopify okay and so shopify is a big canadian-based e-commerce platform but um outside of that you're thinking about big commerce magento woocommerce uh press shop in europe um all these large international platforms that you know manage collectively uh trillions of dollars in e-commerce spend it's exciting i love it thank you for sharing that Tell me um, a little bit, obviously, you are constantly reading, researching, growing yourself. What are maybe some of your go-to books or podcasts, industry outlets that yeah. you continue to go to to just kind of keep learning and, and continuing to, I guess, feed that curiosity that it sounds like you have? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I like books about learning and how to think quite a bit. Thinking Fast and Slow is probably one of my all-time favorite books. Um you know, tend to revisit that type of stuff. And then right now I'm in the weeds of building a company, like yeah. we're getting stuff and we're getting it going. And so the types of books that I'm reading are highly specific towards whatever problem I'm solving. I can tell you uh, a year ago when I first started this business, uh, we didn't have technology yet. It was just three founders, you know, working in our proverbial garage. And I didn't know how to sell used equipment. I was reading, you know, two or three books at a time about how to sell used cars, right? <laughs> Um, and I'm a big believer that, you know, you don't have to discover everything yourself. You stand on the shoulders of giants. And so try to solve problems that way through learning, you know, asking questions, but, um, thinking fast and slow is probably one of my all time favorites. And I suggest it for everybody. Nice. So, um, you know, you, you transitioned from bolt to boom and bucket, and you mentioned that you took some time kind of away before you just leapt into the next opportunity. Can you talk about the importance that you think it, it may play for you, for yourself, you know, just the mental space. And um, do you think enough people are able to take that time and, and do you recommend it? Are enough people able to take the time? No, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's a crisis uh, across the U S everything from child uh, paid child leave to uh, vacation days, right? Like for a developed country, we have the least number of vacation days. I don't think we should necessarily be like Europe. I think from a, a, a cultural standpoint, the United States has a different work ethic than many developed nations. And I think that's okay. And I think that's made it successful, but that doesn't mean that you have to work, uh, you know, uh, five days a week, you know, 52 weeks a year type thing. I think there's an appropriate balance. And I think if we go back to kind of how innovation happens, innovation tends to happen when you take time off away from your problems and your brain can just process stuff. And so I think it's incredibly important, whether that's in between work or in your current job, to take real time off. And I, I get pissed at my team when they take vacations and they're responding to emails and slacks and stuff. Like I make it an effort not to talk to them when they're on vacation because that is their time to come back better than they were before. And so in my specific time in terms of leaving Bolt, you know, that was an incredibly intense three years. We went from 15 people to 225. We you know, migrate the business up market and we made this you know, multiple successful motions. We raised a few hundred million dollars in capital. I was overweight. I was sore. I was tired. I was grumpy. 
Uh, I was drinking too much coffee, probably having a few too many beers at night, like all the bad stuff that like, if you keep doing that for, you know, a year or two, whatever, you can get over it. If you keep doing it for 10 years, like you're in a challenging spot, you know? Um, and so what did I do there? Like, you know, it was COVID, which is both a blessing and a curse. Like it means that I can, you know, hang out with friends in person a lot, but it means that we could do things that were, you know, the two of us, my partner and myself. Um, first thing that we did rented a house a few hours away. We were living in Northern California at the time. Uh, we moved up the coast, a little tiny town, and we stayed there. Like, hiked every morning, uh, went to the beach, like, literally did hikes every day by myself in the woods. Like, I don't know, I hadn't done that ever. And, like, it was incredible, and it was helpful in that regard. Um, got bored pretty quickly. There's only so much of that you can do, but, like, you try to reset and get good habits. And so uh, I was very intentful about working with folks during that period that I enjoyed that had different problems than my own. What I mean by that is that um, I took on a handful of entrepreneurs or building companies as uh, clients in an advisory capacity and helped them through inflection points, but their business looked really different than any business that I had worked on before and was likely to work in the future. So worked with an incredible brand in the creator space, worked with another incredible company uh, in the real estate tech space, um, worked with a company in the data space. Like, all these different folks had different business problems, but at the end of the day, it comes down to people, processes, systems, which is like the stuff that we've talked about, right? And so um, that period was nourishing for my soul and nourishing for my mind in the sense that like validated some of the patterns that I had seen and then got a little time distance to space. Um, same time, you know, started working on what the heck I want to do with my life. Like both at the time, you know, on the trajectory to be successful, um, certainly, but like, you know, it wasn't uh, going to be something where I'm going to go to a beach in Mexico the rest of my life. And like, I'm very much like a builder. Like um, my shtick is like, I love getting stuff zero to one and from one to 10 and wanted something really needy to sink my teeth into. And so started down a process of that as well, but did that on my own um, timeline. Like, you know, I didn't need to do it in two months or three months. Like I would have been happy if it was a year. I would have been happy if it was 18 months and I would have been happy if it was six. Turned out, um, paycheck to paycheck. So my last paycheck at Bolt and my first paycheck at Boom and Bucket, exactly one year to the day. So, you know, that's how life works. That is how life works. This is awesome. I really appreciate you sharing these stories and experiences and the scalability and kind of taking a lot of complicated things and, and simplifying it. So thank you for doing that. You've got a gift for um, taking the complicated and making it easy. So thank you. If, um, if folks wanted, or they're listening and, and they want to learn more, how, or what is the best way to uh, reach out to you or to Boom and Bucket? Yeah. Boom and Bucket, it's boomandbucket.com. Pretty easy. Um, try to build an iconic Americana brand on that side. Uh, Twitter, it's I am underscore ASL. So I'm, and those are my initials. Um, my website is the same thing. I am dash ASL.org. Um, I write there and I publish there and then Twitter, I try to make a few jokes every once in a while. And that's about it. Um, those are the easy ways. Awesome. Thank you, Adam Lawrence. You are the co-founder and CEO of boom and bucket found on the web at boomandbucket.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate it. Have a great one. Mm-hmm. 
My team and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Business Vitality Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. If you know of another leader, another CEO, a founder who has another success story that they are willing to share and be able to pay it forward, we would love to highlight their stories on this podcast. You can find more information at katherinecanty.com. And in the meantime, if you could take a minute and rate this show, that would be super helpful because that's going to allow more people like you to find us in order to continue to pay it forward. Again, if you need to learn any additional information, we are happy to help. You can find us more at katherinecanty.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn with my name, Katherine Canty. Thanks so much for being here.